Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah, we, we have been so very blessed yesterday and today to be here and be with you all. Really, we've, I know we've said it multiple times, echoing it from up here, but it really is a, just a huge honor. I, I don't know because I came in a little bit late into the meeting if this has been asked, so just forgive me if it has. Do, is there anyone here that you haven't been here before, you're visiting, this is your, your first time here, I'm just wondering? A few of you. Yeah, welcome. I'm in the same boat with you. I'm a, I'm a visitor here as well, of course, uh, but a visitor who's, who's feeling like family. So I, I've uh, been a little guilty, as, as Pastor was mentioning, of, of not <laughs> watching the clock whatsoever, and I'm going to do my best to still be partnering with the Holy Spirit, but I keep it much more contained and condensed this morning, uh, because there, there's, there's so much here in the revelation of this day, of this week, that we can dig into. I mean, really hours and hours that, that we could spend just looking at the richness of the Scriptures and the richness of what it is that Jesus has done. And I, I think this is actually perfect to sort of come to uh, a climax of this week of what we've been looking at and these themes that have been intersecting and interlocking, uh, the, these patterns of living a life poured out, uh, live, living uh, a lifestyle, and, and you saw echoed from, from Will and, and other friends of ours as we're, we're pursuing revival in the video advertising for the Cultivate Revival, that we see the Lord doing these things as we go. Remember in the Scriptures, uh, Luke ten eighteen that Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven as the disciples were going. Now, of course, we, we don't know if he's referring back to originally when Satan f- fell, or regardless, the context that Jesus gives is and seems to... Uh, point to in that, uh, in that sentence to, uh, I believe it was a 72, is that Satan is being thrown down in the midst of kingdom living, in the midst of you and I going out. And that going out is not easy. It, it, it is a war. We're, we're pushing back the forces of the enemy. We're, we're pushing back the kingdom of darkness through advancing the kingdom of God, through co-laboring with Christ. And, and that's not an easy thing. It's an uncomfortable thing. It's, a, it's an inconvenient thing, and we're going to look again at some of those aspects and how that plays out. And I know that I'm being a bit repetitive with this, but I'm hoping that in the repetition it's revelatory, that, uh, that it's not redundant. Uh, because this, this has to be something that, that, although it's foundational, we continually dig up and hold before us again and again and again and again. Otherwise, what's going to happen is when the difficulty comes, the enemy is going to deter you away from pressing in and pursuing the promise. Because you're going to assume, as, as Pastor was saying, that the Lord's not in it because this, this is disruptive. When in fact, I, I think what we see in the biblical narrative and in the Gospels in Jesus' life is that that's actually a sign, a great sign that He's with you. So, uh, we're, we're in, in the midst of, of history, of, of holy history in this day and in, in this week. It's Holy Week. We've talked a little bit of, uh, the, already about the significance of um, some of these biblical days. And this is, uh, by the way, I want to encourage you to later and throughout this week, go back and really immerse yourself into the story. Look at the whole narrative. Look at what, look at what Jesus was doing, what was being accomplished. Don't, don't let it be one day a year. Don't let it be one day a year. We, should, we are called to feast on this, to feast on this. And I was reading again over, over the story culminating in the crucifixion last night, and I was shocked. I, I was up for a long time, maybe 3 a.m. reading, and um, I was shocked at the roller coaster of emotions that's found in this week and, and in the biblical story. We're, we're beginning, and as we're going to read in a moment, and what we find in uh, each of the gospel accounts of this Palm Sunday story, Jesus riding into the city. So we're, we're beginning this holy week with the people shouting, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, and actually Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna, the word actually means save us, salvation now, Hosanna. We're beginning with shouts of Hosanna, triumphant breath, leap, uh, uh, 
releasing from the lungs of the people as they're singing and they're, they're praising him. And we end with, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, Father, why have you forsaken me? And whew, giving up the ghost. This, this up and down, this up and down thing, where, and, and it's, it's this place of tension, it's this place of conflict that you're seeing in Jesus' life, that, that you re, uh, see repeating in his life. I was, I was looking at the account in Luke, in Luke 19, when it, Jesus says, go and, and find me a donkey that no one has ever sat on. And in Luke 25, he's buried in a tomb in which nobody's ever been laid. Like, what a contrast in that. It's something else that's a contrast that a lot of people aren't aware of. If you uh, study history, you, you and I see that scholars point this out, that at the same time, on the same day, as a matter of fact, this procession as Jesus is riding in on a donkey on this, this humble posture into Jerusalem. Jesus is entering the east gate. Simultaneously, a second procession of Pontius Pilate is going on in the western gate of Jerusalem. Again, what a contrast in this. Pilate is leading a procession of militant might and power with his, his soldiers, they're, they've got their, their steel swords in the finest holsters, their glistening helmets, their armor, their archers at the ready in case of uprising, that they can suppress it in a moment. They, they, can, they can use their oppressive power to squelch it. He's coming in with chariots and war horses. And Jesus comes on a donkey. While, being, while fully man, fully God, he comes in this low posture. In the entirety of his life, you see this. You, you see it in uh, the fact that God even chose to let the, the birthing place of his son incarnate be in the, the humble uh, location of a manger. Of all the places it could have been. And you, you see this and repeatedly in the Gospels, he's continually choosing to take the low place. And in the, the contrast in these two processions, I think something God wants us to see in this story and what he's asking us today is, if you were there, if you were in his shoes right now, what procession would you be attending? Which one would you be following? And we might be shocked to find that it, it may not be the one that we would think because very quickly in the narrative do the people turn on Jesus. Very quickly do they go from, Hosanna, save us now, son of David, to crucify him, crucify him, and, and to, to uh, appease the uprising and the crowds. They had a custom of releasing prisoners, and as we see, the people chose the releasing of the murderer Barabbas over Jesus. And not only uh, for him to be punished, but to face the ultimate punishment and the ultimate act of humiliation and be stripped naked, mocked as the king of the Jews, and crucified at the place of the skull. It's this amazing roller coaster in this story. So I, I'm going to read here uh, from Matthew's account, Matthew 21, and read verses 1 through 11. And then we're just going to look at some other things here that I think are important lessons for us in this story. Starting at verse 1, when they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethlehem at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them. And this, 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 all of these accounts, they're exploding with revelation. Even in this, it's like God is asking or saying to us, if you will, what, I have need of you. In the book of Ephesians, we see that he's called us unto good works, which he preordained. And of course, we don't mean that, we know that God doesn't need us in terms of his, he's self-sustaining. The need is out of want. It's a yearning. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That part of that joy was you. It was to get you, to die for you. The Lord needs them. And he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. This is Zechariah 9 9, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, now they're, they're attributing this title to him, Son of David, and this is, by the way, one of the key reasons that the people turn on him so quickly is because his procession did not look like Pontius Pilate's procession. This is actually why they turned on him. This, this, they, their, their theology was very much rooted in the coming Messiah from looking at the apocalyptic literature of Daniel and the Son of Man. They had a cosmic understanding, but they also, and, and, and more so here at, at this time in this context, had the understanding of the title of the Son of David. David was a literal, uh, of course, Jesus was literal as well, but David, David was a literal ruler he, uh, of, of an earthly kingdom, an earthly domain. And what they were looking for, what they were expecting, is something more akin to Pontius Pilate, not this humble posture. In the crying, Hosanna, save us now, son of David, they're saying, save us, deliver us by doing what we believe. Uh, it was prophesied that you're going to do, that you're going to overthrow the kingdom of Rome. You're going to set up a community where the Jewish people are ruling and reigning, and you're here uh, on an earthly throne as king. And you see that they repeatedly miss that Jesus is giving them... Uh, 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 changes in the way that they think, attempting to, to reorient their thinking into understanding that I'm of a kingdom that is not part of this world. It's something higher. It's a different perspective. It's not what Pontius Pilate is doing. I'm not of a kingdom that's coming to oppress, to squelch with. I'm not coming with a kingdom of militarization. I'm coming with a kingdom of servanthood. Any, any, any sense of ruling that is not rooted in servanthood is a ruling that is foreign to the heart of the gospel, and to the heart of Jesus. Everything we do is from this posture. Everything we do is from humility, from sacrifice, from love. So this, this is one of their key reasons that they, they turned on Jesus. They were expecting this type of manifestation of the Son of David, for him to establish this type of kingdom. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, And asking, who is this? And the crowds are saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And in Matthew's account, this, the word here, this is very interesting, the Greek word for turmoil, it's the same, uh, same word that's been translated and, and, and used uh, to mean shaking or, or quaking. And it's what happens... Um, uh, this, this word describing Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, it's what happens at Jesus' crucifixion with the splitting of the rocks. It's the earthquake that accompanies the angel coming and rolling the stone away from Jesus' tomb and the shaking of the, guards who, uh, of the guard who stood at the tomb. I, I, that's fascinating to me, that turmoil and the, the people being in turmoil is the same word used for this, really an earthquake and a shaking. You remember what we've spoken up a bit earlier in this Hebrews 12 dichotomy of our discipleship, that everything that can be shaken will be shaken while we're inheritors of an unshakable kingdom. And as Jesus is entering into the city, there's turmoil, there's shaking. What's the reason for the shaking? What, what's, what's, what is this cause to cry up? Uh, what kind of cry does this bring up in the heart of the people? Who is this? The whole city was in turmoil, and yeah, really, Jerusalem was, Jesus was entering really the most troubled place in the world. It, this was tremendous struggle, conflict, confrontation. Their history was killing the prophets, fighting wars, living in violence. Really tumultuous. And when I'm looking at this, what this brings to mind in me is that Jesus is still entering into the most troubled places of the world, and that's here. It's not only a geographical location. He's, he's entering and he's stepping in, and with that comes shaking and turmoil, and that comes to me. That comes to all of us. And, you know, we could go on and on describing about the things that relating to turmoil and what it is, but uh, the, it, one of the things that turmoil does is it causes, similar to this, who is this? It causes questioning. And it typically is... This doesn't look like what I thought it would look like. 
this isn't happening at the speed I expected it to happen. If, even if you remember John the Baptist, when he, he, he's being lured by the enemy into a place of offense because Jesus has not done what they thought he was going to do, and he's in prison. And the word that Jesus sends to John to reorient his perspective is, tell him the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking, the dead are being raised. Blessed is the one who's not offended in me. Turmoil brings shaking. It brings questioning. And it, it's interesting to see in the life of Jesus that, that uh, in his, the entirety of his life, he's constantly bringing turmoil. If you really look at his life, this is what he's constantly doing. This is what he's constantly doing. I remember remembering the prophet Elijah when he goes to, to meet, before, just before he's going to meet Ahab, uh, he's speaking with Obadiah, and he's, he says, what are you doing here, you troubler of Israel? And he said, I'm not a troubler of Israel. Well, Jesus was really a troubler of Israel. He's still a troubler of Israel. He's, he, he's constantly a troubler. And I'll point back to the quote I mentioned in, in the earlier sessions for those of you who weren't here. And even as we're looking unto revival, that the late Lonnie Frisbee, a pivotal figure in the Jesus movement and in Calvary Chapel and uh, the Vineyard in the early days in the 70s, said that in his opinion, the most sure sign of the Holy Spirit coming wasn't tongues, it was trouble. And so we're, we need to be ready for a posture of war as, as we're contending for the coming of the kingdom. He'd been doing this his entire life since the day he was born. Even, even, even at the news of, of an announcement of his birth, when Herod heard about it, he heard that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem. He was the king of the Jews. Herod and all Jerusalem with him were troubled, and they were shaken, and he tried to have him put to death by putting the, ordering for the death of the firstborn, uh, not firstborn, excuse me, all of the sons that were being born at the time we find it in Matthew 2. Uh, we see in Matthew 4 that Jesus called James and John to leave their nets. We referred to this earlier, the boat and, and the father, the foundation on which their life and identity had been built, their career, everything about them, everything about their image. Abandon it. That's troubling. He was, he was constantly, he was called a wine-bibber and a friend of sinners. He was eating with the wrong kinds of people, with tax collectors, calling tax collectors like uh, Levi, and he was eating with sinners in Matthew 9. He, he sent out the 12 apostles, and he was telling them, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father and daughter against their mother and a daughter-in-law against their mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. In Matthew 10, he's, 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 he's even in the midst of troubling, wanting us to be so reliant on him that we're, that we're we're, we're eventually at a place where we're not saying these things don't matter, but we're willing to even step away from the things that we hold the dearest in order to cling to Him. This, this is the point of what it is that Jesus is saying and what, the way He's trying to get us to think. And, of course, as we mentioned again in the earlier sessions, He t tells His disciples in Matthew 16, if anyone wants to become one of my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And so He's been doing this His whole life, and this is no different. The whole city's in turmoil. And as they're waving the palms, they're shouting Hosanna. Uh, this is not relieving the turmoil. It's actually revealing the turmoil. It's, it's revealing this place of tension, and we're looking to you, and you're here, and are you going to do what we think you're going to do, or are you going to do what we typically find you doing, which is acting completely contradictory to our expectations? So, he's a man of turmoil. They're asking, who is this? His entry into Jerusalem, it's inaugurating this holy week. It's a holy week, really, of turmoil. And, and, and in each of these, these events, these things that are coming, it's actually a series of turmoils. It's a series of these shakings, this entire holy week in Scripture, of the, these, these shaking events, these tumultuous events. And in the turmoil, it's, it's God revealing and it's life-giving in the midst of the turmoil. Because he's, he's, he's using the shaking to reorient us into alignment with the will of God and into the life of God. He's, he's realigning our relationships. He's, he's teaching us intimacy of washing feet. He's calling us even to die before death comes and, and breaking open our lives in ways that we would have never expected, ways we would have never thought to be possible. So this is one of the first keys I want to give us here. And this, the second 
is to again reference that as we're in the midst of Holy Week, we're in the midst of uh, and looking at Jesus' life and seeing that He's standing in the gap and the tension between palms and passion. Between palms and passion, this is where we find Jesus. And I think that we're called to live and stand in this tension. Standing in tension means we have to choose to empty ourselves of anything that might keep us from fully embracing the events of, of a holy week and of, of life in God. This is what, what Jesus was doing, and this is something that I believe we don't get to, to escape, and that Jesus was living a, a posture that we would call kenosis. It, it was self-emptying, and in, in this, the Father was filling Him, and that's not the only place we find this in Scripture. Uh, we, we can point and look here at uh, Philippians 2, with the Apostle Paul as he's writing, he's, he's in great anguish in prison. He's in the midst of suffering. And in verse 1 of Philippians 2, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility like Jesus riding on the donkey. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Again, back to what we've been mentioning about life in the kingdom, others-oriented rather than self-oriented. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this, this is known in the history of the church as the canonic hymn. This would actually be sung in uh, many instances in the early church as worship. And in this is, is in, in Paul as a life poured out, in the apostles as a life poured out, even unto death. And those involved in, in revivals as a life poured out, even unto death. And the, the, be- the beauty of it is, is you don't have to fear the sting of it if you die beforehand. You don't have to fear the sting of death if you, if you are already dead. If you've already let the Lord kill your old man, he, he, he's not a self-help coach. He doesn't come to just take old Brian and make him better. He kills us so that He can give us a new heart, make us a new being, make us a, uh, give us a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone. This is, the, this is what He's doing. This is part of what Paul is speaking about, but it, ha- it comes through our own willingness to allow Him to work on us. There, there's uh, three words for life that we find in the New Testament. There's suke, which of course will redirive psychology, psyche. There's bios, biological life. And there's zoe, zoe life. When, when we find instances of Jesus making reference to the laying down of his own life, it never once is speaking of him laying down zoe or bios. Every time it's suke. What do I think? What do I want to do? What, 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 what is in my soulish realm, my will, my emotions? This is what I'm laying down so that I can embrace the will of the Father in this moment. And that comes through emptying and through service and servanthood and through humility. So this, this self-emptying, it, it's allowing a full embodiment of the Holy Spirit and fuller embodiment. Each time we continue to yield, He gives us more of Himself, more of His grace. And this, this tension and turmoil is simultaneously victory for us. This moments in Jesus' life between uh, palms and passion is where we find victory because we know that He stands with us in that tension. He stands with us there. It's a triumph, and it's, it's a victory. Uh, but there's, we, we don't have time to read it here, but, but there's, there's more to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem than this, just this reading in Matthew's gospel. Jesus actually enters Jerusalem four times during this week. And in each one of these times when, when he's, he's going to the temple, and he, he's turning over the money changers, and, and each of these times as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, we, we see this process of, of him emptying even further in each one of these entrances, each of these visitations into the city, we, we see him stepping into the process of, of 
in the emptying being fully present. And these series of entrances, they end as, they culminate in uh, Jesus entering Jerusalem for the fourth time, and he's sitting down and he's sharing a Passover meal with his disciples. Now, what's important to catch here is that Jesus not only eats the Passover, but he is becoming the Passover. He's becoming the Passover. He's becoming the provision. He is the holy food for holy people. When we're, when we're getting is what we spoke of earlier, give us today tomorrow's bread. This is the bread that we're getting. We're not just getting a gift. We're, we're saying, give us yourself. This is what we're getting. We're getting him. He is the Passover. He's, he's sharing himself so fully that he even goes to the point of allowing himself to be betrayed by one of his spiritual sons. This is how fully he's giving himself. And so in this, this fourth entry, this Passover time in, in this story, I think that uh, God is calling us to be a people who reserve nothing, who give ourselves fully, even with a willingness to, let, to be betrayed. You know, if we, we want to talk about if, are we living in faith or fear, this, this, is a, this is a key test of are you living in faith or fear. I love the miracles and, and things like that, but are you willing to fully give yourself and live with no mask to the point of even being betrayed? That's a test of living in faith or fear because that's faith. And this is what Jesus is modeling. This is what he's calling us into, to give ourselves in this type of a way. We've covered kenosis. So, there's, there's a bit more we could say, but I'm, I'm going to, I think, mostly wrap it up here, and then I want to tell you guys some stories, and we're going to pray. But I, I know this is, this is pretty laid back, but I'm, I'm wanting you to just get some of these keys here of, 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 of the revelation that is in this story, and in, in these stories, and what Jesus is doing, and the culminating, and, and of course, is ultimately resurrection, ascension, and ascending of the Holy Spirit, but even the beauty of his obedience unto death on the cross, and to be willing to endure that type of suffering, to be, to be willing to look at it and count it as joy. How, how deep does the Spirit have to grip your heart for you to look at a cross and count it as joy? It's the, the beauty of this, the beauty of what Jesus is doing. He can look at a cross and count it as joy because of the work of the Spirit in him, because he's emptied himself and allowed the Lord to give of himself in such a way that it can totally transform his vision and his perspective and his perception. So, so we're seeing emptying and embodying. Emptying and embodying. And he empties himself that he might more fully embody and reveal God's self. He's, in, he's detaching from the temple structure. He's cleansing and purifying the old ways. He's interiorizing the law of God and the teaching. He's, as we mentioned, becoming holy food for holy people. Every time, he's, he's more fully himself than he was the time before. Each, each entrance is a form of dying, of death to self. And so in closing of my notes here, he, he was killed, of course, on the cross, but I want to propose that he actually began to die in the triumphal entry. This is the, the initiation. This is how the posture that the Lord's called us to live in. And I mean, we've, we've covered a lot of stories already, but I, I, I've witnessed that. I, I've witnessed the way that the Lord does this, that if we're simply willing, and at various aspects, and, and, and there, there's relational stories, there's so many things I could tell you, but this is, we're emphasizing a lot about revival and about the power and the coming and breaking into the kingdom, the power of the Holy Spirit being made manifest in the present. I've seen this happen, as I mentioned, in these uncomfortable, these moments of tension, these fearful moments, these inconvenient moments, and the goodness of God to come in the midst of being willing to just be a vessel that empties. And in the midst of fear, in the midst of when you don't get it, when you you don't understand, you're confused, you let him use you, and you watch what he does. Even Even in the things that are so small that you think this can't possibly bear any fruit, and you think it's a failure. It, it's really interesting that you were mentioning about North Carolina. Let me tell you a, a quick story and then possibly a few testimonies before we close this in, in prayer for you all again. Um, Pastor Tom was mentioning North Carolina. Now, several years ago, back before I met Camden, uh, I was made aware of... Well, let me back up before that. The, there is an uh, evangelist, he's a little-known evangelist, by the name of uh, Edward Kimball. There's probably very few of you who have heard of Edward Kimball, 
but you've probably heard of a man he led to the Lord uh, because that man was Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody. And we've talked, I don't, actually, I don't think we've touched on Moody here. He was a powerful revivalist, baptized in the Holy Spirit. As he was up the street in New York, he uh, had been really striving for fruit and the gospel and didn't realize that he had no power. And he had two women actually in a YMCA, uh, older, I believe, Methodist women that were praying for him. And they, and they came up to him as the evangelist saying, we're praying for you, Mr. Moody. And he was actually offended at first that they were praying for him. And he's saying, why are you praying for me? I'm the evangelist. Go, you need to be going and praying for the lost. And they said, we're praying for you because you don't have the power. <laughs> and at first, he's like, ah, wow, whatever. And he realizes, well, they're right. And he begins crying out for God to fill him with the Holy Spirit. And he fills him radically. He actually set, asked the Lord to stay his hand because he felt like he was going to die as these waves of love were coming over him. It's very powerful. So Kimball leads Moody to the Lord. Moody uh, leads a man to the Lord by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman leads the famous evangelist Billy Sunday to the Lord. Billy Sunday leads a man named Mordecai Ham to the Lord. Now, several years ago, before I met Camden, uh, someone gave me a copy of some of Mordecai's journals, journal entries. And in this, he was writing about one particular crusade in North Carolina, in Charlotte. Now, uh, I mentioned it was before I met Camden because the, the really fascinating thing, thing here is I, I read of this one particular crusade in Charlotte, and he thought of it as a complete disaster. He thought, I've spent myself and I've sacrificed, and this has borne nothing, no fruit. This has been a waste of time and a waste of money and a waste of energy. And it actually was causing doubt in him and wrestling. He was, he was in tension. He was in personal shaking through this. And I, I read of this and, and then come to find out Camden's, is it three greats or two? I guess it doesn't matter. Two. Two great, great, great grandfather was a man by the name of Harold Earthman from Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He was uh, like this with Mordecai Ham. He actually organized all of his events and his crusades and, and uh, things of that nature. He was like his, his finance guy. And so I actually got to speak to people in her family and others that, that knew about this and, and talked about what a, what a flop they all thought it was and how disappointed they were with it both Harold and uh, Mordecai. And in this journal entry of what they perceived to be their greatest failure, it says, Crusade Charlotte, North Carolina, 1934. Complete and utter failure. Nothing happened but one 16-year-old saved in the whole crusade. What they didn't know was that one 16-year-old from Charlotte, North Carolina was Billy Graham. And what they thought as, as, as the greatest defeat and weakness, only one teenager coming up was Billy Graham. One of the greatest uh, uh, evangelists and revivalists that the Lord has used around the world. And what they thought was, this has borne no fruit. We've given ourselves. We've been canonic. We've spent, and this has brought nothing. So even in those places where you, you feel like I'm doing it and I'm pressing in and nothing seems to be happening, God is at work. He's at work in the midst of that. He, he's in the work in the midst of that tension. He's, he's at work in the midst of the small moments. And I want you, in, in finding, yes, the beauty of this Palm Sunday and Holy Week and the, the, the crucifixion and all of these things and, and the giving and the, the emptying and the sacrifice to not lose heart as you're doing it, because this is how the enemy is going to come against you. He's going to bring a fear of disappointment. Mariah Woodworth Etter uh, has a quote that I love and I, I share all the time when she was talking about coming to the Lord and being filled uh, with the Spirit. She said, I, I asked God to grant to me the same power that he gave the Galilean fishermen and to anoint me for service. I came to him like a child asking for bread and I looked for it and in closing she says, God did not disappoint me. I don't want to tell you that God will not disappoint you. He will not disappoint you. If you, he takes good pleasure in giving the kingdom to his children, to us, to his sons and daughters. If you ask him for bread for the bread of the kingdom, he's not going to give you a stone. He, he, there's no stinginess in him. He, he, he wants to lavish it upon you. And the more that you give, the more that you spend yourself and you give it away, the more he will lavish the kingdom upon you. But you have to be willing to go. You have to be willing to be spent. You have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to be willing to embrace the, the 
gap between palms and passion, so to speak, in your own life, in your own heart. You have to be willing to give yourself even when you, when you don't get it, when you don't understand it. E- even in times when it looks mundane, because it looks, I, you, this is not something where you have to be a vocational minister in, in any way whatsoever to be doing, to be seeing, to be seeing revival and transformation in your city. I think I mentioned it in, in one of the sessions already when I was speaking about the believer's priesthood, but nothing of, uh, uh, in terms of just having a microphone validates the anointing on your life. First John actually says you've been given an anointing from the Holy One. And as I said, we honor the vocational ministers absolutely, and we honor the fivefold. And, but, but don't let the enemy make you think this is needed to fulfill the call of God on your life. Platform does not produce presence. Eloquence of speech and good presentation does not produce presence. According to Isaiah, and what is still true today, it is the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit that you've been given, that He's released to you, that empowers you to break the yoke. And you don't have to be in vocational ministry. It, it can be something as simple as, as you uh, going to Walmart, and you can see the kingdom of God come. You can give yourself in that moment. Even in whispers. Remember, pointing back again, right, making multiple references to Elijah, uh, but when he was hiding out and he, and he uh, was discouraged and he says, God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that's still serving you, which wasn't true. The Lord said, no, son, I've got all of these others. But in the midst of that, when the voice of the Lord came with the various manifestations that were quite dramatic, the, the whirlwind and, and the fire, an Old Testament major prophet hears the Lord in a still small voice. There's power in that. There's power in that for you. And you can see it as, as you're going. You, you, you can, all of this week is leading unto the triumphant resurrection of Jesus. And he ascends into heaven and he sends the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, the new covenant spirit that can dwell within us. That we see in Isaiah 59, 21 and Acts 2, 39. We see it cited by the prophet Joel that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Even on the servants and the handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit. So the Lord goes and strips away everything that we would earthly, place earthly categorization on for who can receive the indwelling presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Old men, young men, sons, daughters, even the servants and the handmaidens, all the way down to the lowest common denominator, he levels the playing field and says, all of you are called into this, and that this promise is for you and for your descendants and their descendants and for all those who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. And we're living in the fulfillment of this promise. And, and, and as we're remembering that and we're looking at these sobering truths, we have to look at what it points to. It points to the victory. It points to the coming of the Holy Spirit and that you and I get to partner with Him to expand the kingdom. And I, I'm believing that, that that is not just believing, it's a reality. That is on you. But I'm believing you're going to step into a fuller manifestation and realization of that and, and praying for an impartation of these divine encounters and words of knowledge to come on you even more. And they're going to come in mundane moments, and you're going to have to give yourself in the mundane when you don't understand it. Do we, what, do, are, we, are we okay on time, Pastor? Is that good? I'll go just 15, okay, I'll just, just 15 more minutes, and then, and then we'll pray for you, maybe, maybe 10. Because um, I, I, I want to give you some stories of this and the, the practicality of it. Uh, when did this happen? A few, a few months ago, I was on my way to the gym. Uh, you know, COVID hit, and one of our hobbies, Cameron and I, is we love going to the gym. And uh, now, actually, our, the owner of our gym is an ext- uh, extremely conservative guy. He never closed anything down. He kept it open the entire time, but he just stopped all the advertising, and so no one knew it was open. And he was secretly telling people, just park, park far away and still come in. So we had no clue. It had been open the whole time. I finally found out it was open. I'm excited to go back, and I am you know, have everything together. I'm walking over there, and it's in like a little uh, strip mall, I guess would be what it is. And I'm walking over, and we have, you have you know, your little cards that you scan to get in. And I'm like fumbling in my pocket, and I somehow like fling the card off and like, you know, several feet in front of me. And I'm... Uh, 
Like, oh, great, now I've got to pick it up. Now, in front of me, there's a, a sushi restaurant in the strip mall, and these two guys come walking out of the sushi restaurant. One of them sees that I've flipped my card in front of me on the ground. His friend goes on to the car with the food, and he stops and picks it up and hands it to me. And this is kind of funny, because this is going to bring scenes to your mind of, like, romantic comedy. Because it's like, as soon as his hand made contact with mine, as he was handing it back to me, a word of knowledge came. Now, we've talked about some of the ways that they come. One of the other ways is that I believe I didn't touch on is that not only can you feel them in pains in your own body or sympathetic pains, you can feel them in your emotions. Now, that's important because I actually have seen a lot of people set free from thinking they had disorders like bipolar and, and the like because they would say, I don't understand it, I've, I will feel fine. And I walk into a room and I, I just sadness just envelops me. And, and you, you learn through walking with the Holy Spirit that, that you can be picking up on the pain of other people around you, or you can be picking up on, on, the, on uh, spirits in, in, a, in a building, in a region, and it can affect you and bleed into your emotions. So as soon as he hands the card back to me, when I made contact with him, I'm hit with this intense wave of just, I, it was very short, but just a crippling anxiety came over me. And I, I felt amazing. I'm, I'm like, the gym's back open. I'm going to go and get to work out again. And it just anxiousness envelops me. It felt like, like you know, the cartoons when a dark cloud is just over you. And in that, it, it manifested also in physical pain. My chest actually tightened and clamped up. Now, I didn't know. I had no idea who he was. This was, felt pretty strong, but it only lasted a split second. I didn't really want to act on it. I wanted to go and get my workout in because I'm going to a conference the next day and I'm going to be praying for tons of people. And so you're just, you're going to have, you're going to have your human moments where you're going to have to choose to yield. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I have very rarely felt like yielding. <laughs> I've rarely felt like yielding. But as, as we've mentioned, it, it's not about how we feel. It's just, it's about obedience. It's about this John 15 hearing his voice and responding out of intimacy and watching the glory of the Lord come and manifest in power. It's about 2 Samuel 14, 14. It says that, that God is actually devising ways so that a banished person won't remain estranged from him. And he, he does that, and he, he works in those ways through you and I as ambassadors, as ministers of reconciliation, restoring his lost sons and daughters, those who are estranged, those who are far off. We're bringing them back in through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this, this hits me. I really didn't want to do anything with it, but I just chose, yield in the moment. You don't want to, but I said, hey, listen, and his friend's over at the car, and he's already wondering, why is this interaction lasting more than a couple of seconds? And he's opened the door, he's sitting, he's looking, and I'm just trying to ignore him, and I'm saying, listen, this is going to sound really strange, but are you dealing with a lot of anxiety right now? Now, this is, you know, maybe July, still a little more amped up COVID time. And so he gives me, I guess, what would be a reasonable answer. He says, well, who isn't anxious right now? And I said, you've got a point. But um, this is very specific. And the Lord began to give. You'll notice as, as you step out on small, small things, very small things, that more begins to come. And sometimes this is important to trust, again, in the smallness, to trust in the stillness, because sometimes it's going to feel even like you're making it up sometimes. As things are just going to come out of your mouth into your thoughts that are so subtle that you're like, is that God? So the temptation then is to think, what if it's just me and you move on? And the kingdom thinking is, what if it's God and it changes this person's life? That's how the Lord wants us to see things, how he wants us to think and to live. And so I, I began to say, no, this is very specific for you. And as a matter of fact, it's even manifesting in physical pains that are coming into your, your chest and, and heart pains. And uh, I think it's over the fact that you have this idea what you want to do with your major. It's in a different college and where you are right now. But you don't want to tell your parents because there's been this strictness over your education. You're afraid of disappointing them. And, and, and you're being crippled with an anxiety and a fearfulness about this. It's affecting your sleep. And I don't remember everything I said, but I'm, I'm going on for a, about a minute and a half. And tears just start welling up in his eyes. And he's saying, how do you know all of this? And I'm saying, I don't know it because of anything to do with myself. I'm not a psychic. There's nothing like that. This is just the fact that I'm a disciple of Jesus, and he speaks to us about people because he loves them. And I'm, I'm telling you, and I asked him, what's your name? And he said, Andrew. And I said, Andrew, the Holy Spirit 
wants to touch you, and, he, and he'll lift that anxiety off of you if let, you let me pray for you. And at this point, he's starting to cry a little more, and he's saying, as long as you don't have to touch me. And I'm like, I, don't, I won't have to touch you. I'll stand back, and I'll, let's, let me pray for you. Just So I just start praying, come Holy Spirit. I couldn't even get past that. And he goes into full-blown crying and shaking. He's doubled over like this. And I'm watching this happen. Now, his friend is watching this happen. And so he opens up the door, uh, door, the, the door to the car. I combine the two words there into a door. He opens up the car door. He puts the sushi down, and he starts, you know, briskly walking over to us. And, and it's hard to ignore when, when, when this is going on, and you're doing like, oh, no, what do I do? And your mind's battling because you're thinking, I've got this incredible Holy Spirit moment that's happening in front of me, and he, what's he going to do? Is he going to come and hit me? Is he going to just take his friend away? Is he going to ruin it? And I'm just, you know, not knowing what to do. And uh, it was a very short walk over there, so I didn't have much time to think about it. Well, sometimes what happens when the Holy Spirit comes, not only in people, but what you guys are going to see entering into revival and, and further expressions of awakening here is that God's presence creates like a divine radiation zone. And so people come into it, and they're drawn into it, and they're, they're wondering, what's going on here? I, I would see this even in, in, in very early days, shortly after coming to the Lord, uh, and be, when I was uh, first baptized in the Holy Spirit, that I started just holding meetings with my friend at his house, and he lived basically in the woods in Georgia. And we would have people come and show up at the house, just... And, out of nowhere. Like, I don't know why I'm here. And pray for them and see demons coming out of them and things. So, this, this, this radiation zone thing that the Lord will do sometimes. And so, that was happening here on a small scale. And so, he comes and he gets to maybe about where Pastor Tom is, and he's walking very quickly up to us, and he gets right here, and his legs start shaking. And so, I'll come up here for any of you who can't see me, you know. I guess you think of kind of like Elvis, I guess, a little bit. He comes and he gets in front of us, and his leg just starts shaking like crazy. And I see that, and now I'm, I'm, all my attention goes off of Andrew, and I'm thinking, he'll be okay because he's just, ah. And I turn my attention onto him. And when I saw that, the, the Lord sometimes will also give you words by pointing you back to another memory. When I saw that, there was a lady we prayed for in uh, Brazil that was, uh, not that we prayed for. I wasn't there. Randy was there and prayed for, for this girl in Brazil uh, a few years ago. And we was one of the few healings we've caught the entire thing happening on camera. And uh, she had a lot of complications with, I think it was her, her left leg. And when they began to pray, the power of God came on her leg and started vibrating it and bending it. And as soon as I saw that with his leg, I knew he's got something wrong here and God's healing it. This isn't just a power manifestation. This is healing. And so I, I said, what's wrong with your leg? Now, he's really, he has no idea what's happening. He's never seen this. He comes up to just interject and put an end to it, interrupt it. And all of a sudden, he steps into this sort of barrier, and his leg starts going crazy. And so he looks like he's seen a ghost. He, he said, well, I, I messed it up playing soccer years ago and really injured my uh, I think it was his Achilles tendon as well as his ACL and some other things, and it, it's never healed right, and I can walk, but I can't, I'm not supposed to put heavy pressure on it, and I can't jump, and, and all these things, and, and I said, I think God is healing your leg right now, I, and, and I want you to try, bend down or do something that you, you couldn't really normally do, and he just sort of looks around like scared and bewildered and every combination of all these things for a few seconds, and he starts running, and he runs to the other end passes who she plays to the end of the strip mall and turns around and runs back and then he's breaking down crying as God just completely healed his leg. And so now he's like jumping and, and while this is going on, there's this group of, of girls, uh, teenagers that are over watching me and they're filming me and I had no idea and they're filming this happening and um, they're like, can we put this on Instagram? And I've said, sure, put it on Instagram. But, but I, I'm now putting my attention back to Andrew, and, and I'm, I'm guiding him into a prayer of receiving Jesus. And, and he's receiving Jesus. He's still crying. And he's weeping. And while this is going on, while I'm praying for him, his uh, friend is there. I don't remember the name of his, uh, the friend, but he's there, the one whose leg has just been healed. As Andrew is praying the prayer to receive Jesus, the other guy, no prayer for him. God just 
sovereignly healed his leg, and he starts going, erupt. He just starts speaking in tongues. Now, the, gir- that, the girls didn't seem too freaked out by the other stuff, but they seemed freaked out by that. And so they left. Um, I would l- love if, I, if they would have said I could have, the story could have gone on into me getting to pray with them and everything, but it didn't. They left. And so I I'm, I'm lead them both to the Lord, praying for the Holy Spirit to fill them, and it got to connect them to a church and everything. It was amazing. Now, that came from just yielding to a small impression after I dropped my gym card onto the ground. It didn't come on the, on, on the heels of an amazing event and conference when, when I, I, I felt on a great spiritual high. Now, I'm, I'm thankful for God giving those spiritual highs. But like one of the old hymns says, the God of the mountain is God in the valley. He's not just God of the spiritual high. And what the enemy wants to do is, is, is cause us to reduce the anointing and the touch of God on our life to an emotional high. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God in you cuts deeper than that, runs deeper than that. The river runs deeper than your emotional highs and your emotional lows. And we draw from that river and from that wellspring. We don't draw from our own interiority, from our own emotions. So I didn't feel like doing it, and the power of God came in that moment. Can I tell you one more story, and I will, I will be done. One last story, and, and we're going to pray for you. And I'm pr- praying for you, believing that God's going to do much, much more than what he's done in me in this with you, because I think we're coming into acceleration in a great deal of things. And by the way, do not be discouraged if you're going and you're attempting this and it doesn't look like, remember the story with Billy. I remember the fact that, that I've been privileged to see a lot of these things in recent years, but I, the first two years that I was going and spending nearly every day praying for people out on the streets, I, I probably had about 2,000-ish times I used to journal everything where it, it was falling on my face every time. Praying for people and they laugh at me. Just, I, just seeing nothing. Maybe, you know, with, with prayer and aspirin, a little bit of healing, maybe something might go from a two to a zero, but mostly nothing that I was aware of happening. Don't give in to discouragement. Press in. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Press in when it's just the cloud the size of a man's hand, when it's small, and in your faithfulness. Favor will find you. Favor finds faithfulness, and you'll see that cloud grow into an abundance of rain if you keep pressing in, if you keep pursuing. So one more, more story, just the, how, how the Lord can use you even in the midst of fearfulness, fearfulness of you, you not understanding. So uh, a few years ago, I was uh, back visiting my family in Georgia, and uh, I don't do this so much anymore, uh, but I used to but my favorite way to pray and spend time with the Lord would be to go on prayer walks. And for whatever reason, I just sort of shifted, and now I like kind of sit most of the time more meditative, but I used to go on long prayer walks. Now, my family lives in South Georgia, um, kind of in the woods, and I'm not a woodsy person. I'm not experienced outdoors. I'm complete, my brother's a complete opposite of me. Everything he does is, is, is eat, sleep, breathe woods and hunting. And so, I, I'm, you know, I tried hunting, and, and I fell asleep. Um, that's not for me. So, uh, so, I'm going on one of these long prayer walks, but I go out into the woods. And I don't walk in the woods very much, so it's getting later in the evening. And sometimes, one of the beautiful things when you're spending time with the Lord is you just completely lose track of time, right? And you even lose track of your surroundings sometimes. And you're just praying in the Spirit, and you're going along, and you're worshiping. Well, it had gotten very late now, and I'm lost in the woods, completely lost. And my phone is very low battery because my phone is what I've been using to play worship songs the whole time. So I can use it, the flashlight, for a little bit, but not for long. And we, I, we've got coyotes all around the woods and wild hogs and things that I, I don't want to really have any fellowship with. And so I'm trying to kind of stay calm. And I'm remembering some of the advice that my brother Jacob told me, which is that if, if you're lost in somewhere like this, you look for a light, just any source of light, and follow that. And um, I knew we don't have very many neighbors, so if this isn't our porch light, it's going to be one of their porch lights, and I'll get, get home from there, get a ride from someone on the four-wheeler or something. 
And so I finally wandering around and I see a light and I start to head towards it. And the closer I get, I realize it's not a house light, it's, it's a, a campfire. And I get closer and eventually, and I'm now, if you've been in the woods, especially like South Georgia or Alabama woods at night, it, it is pitch black, you can't see a thing. And so I finally get up close enough where this campfire is illuminating what was a group of 10 girls. It was actually a witch coven. And so again, I'm, I'm not, in praying, for, in praying for you, I'm not praying specifically that God's going to send you to a witch coven, unless that's what's in your heart, to go and, and minister to them. But, but I am praying and, and understanding, and, and you guys have to understand, the Lord would do things that scare you and that, that shock, scare you and shock you. And he'll send you even to dark places where, because those people need him. And it's important to know that even in the midst of fearfulness, which I was in great fear, that he'll still use you. You, you can yield even when you're afraid. And so I, I'm there, and it's, as I said, 10 girls. And so someone asked me, how did you know there were witches before you got into the follow-up? Well, they were all wearing black hoods, and they're standing around the fire that actually sacrificed an animal that was in the fire, and they're chanting. It's a pretty obvious picture here. And so I'm, um, I don't know, maybe from about here to Brook away, and um, I'm, I'm taking it in. You're, those, it, it you know, felt like I was in a movie or something. And I'm trying to control my breathing, because I'm terrified. I'm thinking, I've got to get out of here. Now, some, somehow, I made noise. And so they turned around, and they all see me. And uh, the girl who I found out was kind of their leader, I suppose, um, yelled at me and pointed at me, and she said, what are you doing here? And I tried to answer, and I couldn't. Couldn't say anything. I, I used to do, you know, speaking of movies, used to watch them, and you have all these scenes, like I'm remembering in Spider-Man when there's, there's a guy, and this building's coming down, and he's just standing there watching it fall down, and he has to swoop in and save him. You see these times where people are totally paralyzed by fear. I thought that was just a movie trope. I didn't know that was a real thing. Until then, I was paralyzed by fear. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. And she says a second time, what are you doing here? My brain is, I'm, I'm in my head. I am screaming at my legs. <laughs> Run, get out of here, get out of here. And I, I can't move. She says it one last time. And again, one of these words of knowledge just sprang up. I had no plans to say it. I said, I'm here because the Lord has sent me here to tell you that he's real and that he loves you. And then I, I felt in that, for two seconds, the fear lift off, and then all of it surged back. And so I'm again frozen again. Like, if I, if I would have had my way, I would have said that, turned, and ran off. I would have never spoken to her again. But I said that, the fear came back, and I couldn't move. I'm paralyzed again. And she breaks down crying. And she's actually, like, screaming and wailing from how intensely she's crying. And she's shaking. Like, shaking... I think not from power of the Holy Spirit on her shaking, but shaking from the intensity of, of the weeping. And all of the other girls look quickly around at all each other, and they all run off into the woods, all nine of them. And so it's just her left. And I'm standing there and for a few minutes, and she's crying, and I eventually kind of work up the nerve to go up and start to, you know, try and, I don't know what I was going to try and say, or, but I, I get closer, and she just comes, reaches, and grabs me and hugs me. And is crying, and eventually when that lifts up and she's calmed down enough, and her, her breathing that was really exasperated and everything is, is slowed down, after that, she begins to tell me about this. And she was actually raised Pente uh, Pentecostal. And her, her parents and everything, had, had, there was no backslide or anything like that, but there was with her. And it started off very small. It started off getting into... Ouija boards and just, just crystals and light, things like that. And it didn't take long for it to slide downhill into full-blown occultic practices, satanic practices, very quickly. And with her and this group of her friends, they would come and they would do things like this. They were really into self-harming and lots of very bad things. And she's telling me about how she was raised Christian and that there had been really a lot of clashing going on with her mother. And she was in the upstairs 
and she would come down in the mornings, and her mom would greet her most every morning by saying, sweetie, I'm praying for you that you would come back to knowing the love of Jesus. That morning, that same morning, she'd come down the stairs. Her mother said that to her, and they, they got in a brief argument where she said, I wish you would just cut it out with all of that. The only way I'm going to believe any of that is if come, someone comes to me tonight, and they're sent from God to tell me that he's real and that he loves me. And so again, it's back into this, this sovereign thing that the Lord does. I didn't plan to go and, and minister to witches in the woods. I would not have chosen to go and do that. Now, maybe now that I've seen some fruit, but at the time, I would not have done that. I just, being real, I, did, I didn't want to, I, I'm, I'm there thinking, I'm going to be the next sacrifice thrown into the fire. <laughs> I'm thinking, get out of there. They're going to kill you. But in the, in the midst of that, God's love is so deep for her that he would use me in, my, in what in my mind is really the Lord's providence, but in what my mind is I'm lost and I'm afraid and scared to death. If you remember the quote we read from Wimber about the parable of the pearl, how he cl- closes that quote, it's the willingness to put our hand in the hand of Jesus and say, I'm scared to death, but still I'll go with you because you're the pearl of great price. I was, this was a scared to death moment, but I'll go with you. And he, his love was so deep that he would use me and send me in the midst of fearfulness and say, give yourself here. I know there's a tension. I know you're afraid. But I'm going to use you, and I'm going to reach her. And, and led her back to the Lord, and I discipled her for a, for a long time. And it was just it was beautiful. And those things are out there for you. Those, those, those hidden gems are out there for you. And the one who has called you will be faithful to do it. Because the kingdom of God has come near to you. It's come near to you. You don't have to look to the left or to the right. It's here and it's near in the person of Jesus. In this, this humble king that in our humility as we yield, he uses us to the lost, to the broken. And you're going to see the kingdom come. You're going to see revival come in power. Let's stop there. And I, thank you. I, I don't know exactly, exactly what this will look like. It may be a bit different from last night. We've got a bit more people. Or I don't know if you have a typical way that you organize this on, on Sundays or don't do. So I, I, I do want to have in some sort of form of, of maybe even briefly just an impartation with all of you. And so let, let's start this way. If you wouldn't mind, just all, all of you standing. And you don't have to come up right now. Just stay there at your seats. Now, if you're not very familiar with this, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pray for you. And if you've never heard this term of impartation, just understand it as we're, what we don't believe we can impart anything. We can't give anything. My mentor, Dr. Randy Clark, says that we're, he, he uses this Palm Sunday analogy. We're the donkey that Jesus rides in to Jerusalem on. We're just donkeys. We're like a mailman delivering packages. We can't determine what, what God gives, but we know that he's faithful to release giftings and anointings unto kingdom service. And, and we've saw, seen many people touch yesterday and believe going to see people touched again this morning because he's faithful and because he wants to use you. And so let's just hold our hands out in front of us. And what I'm going to do is, is, is pray briefly in just a moment. Following the prayer, what happens typically as the Spirit of God comes is there's varying sensations that people feel. There's your signs that, that he's with you that he's empowering you afresh, touching you afresh. Some of those are sensations in the hands. It's one of the most common, heat, tingling, uh, numbness. Sometimes you'll feel like maybe your hand's fallen asleep, shaking, trembling, sometimes weeping. As uh, Similar to these people, that the stories I told you about, it's the love of God comes upon you and grips you, and you're baptized, you're immersed in that love. Sometimes it's, it's shaking of, of your legs and various parts of your body. It's like the, it's electric current. It's coming upon you. Sometimes it's a deep peace. So, uh, oftentimes your eyelids will begin to flutter unnaturally quickly. Your heart will begin to beat very quickly. Some people won't feel anything, but there may just be a prophetic discernment that the Lord gives myself or, or Camden or others that the Spirit is touching you in that moment. He's doing something. And so I'm going to, going to pray as you're sensing those things 
And just lean into that and, and let the Lord come upon you and touch you. And, and, and um, I think because of the size of the people we have in here, I'm going to do it a bit different and probably bless you as you're, uh, where you're at and maybe call some people forward for prayer who the Lord is really ministering to. So in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, we say come. Yes, yeah, yeah. Come more, Holy Spirit. Come more, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your, your presence that's with us in the Scriptures. It's with us in this holy week. Thank you for, the, for the, this journey, Lord, that, that culminates in your resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit. And according to that promise, Lord, that he's, he's given to us and to our descendants, Lord, let the Spirit be given afresh here and now the giftings, the anointings of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to be sent afresh here and now upon your people. We bless, Lord, the shaking. We bless the peace of God that's on them. We bless the glory of God resting on them. We bless, Lord, tears, the holy tears. We, we bless, Lord, fire that some of them may feel, tingling in the hands, electricity. These, these, these signs of your anointing, Lord, we bless them and we call for more in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus.